Hello there and welcome to this week's episode of the Think Curiously podcast. Now this week my guest is someone who has created a brand that is so vibrant and visible in the majority of high streets in Northern Ireland. You can't feel but walk down the town and be drawn to the signage outside of his shops. But it started out as an idea a piece on a piece of paper. Using past experiences in business, he built up this brand and the brand is Bob and Burt's. Now, for those of you who are listening outside of Northern Ireland, maybe in Scotland or in England, you might have seen them starting to pop up over there as well. But the idea behind Bob and Burt's was to create something that would be relaxing, that would be peaceful, that would be enjoyable, that had great coffee and great food at its core. But what I'm interested in is not really the makeup of the coffee or the food, but it's the processes of how the business came to be. The sacrifices, the leaps of faith, the challenges, the risks, the rewards, and also what it takes from from a personal perspective, from an entrepreneur to have a vision and then to use that vision to basically build the bricks and mortar of the business. And then how do we develop it? So you cross the chasm and we speak about that in this week's episode. I'm fascinated by this whole makeup, by the whole entrepreneurial mindset. So I was delighted when Colin McLean from Bob Burst decided that he would accept my uh, invitation to come on the podcast. I have no doubt that you guys will get something from it as well. But before I jump into that, I want to just make you aware of something that happens here locally in Coleraine. And if you're not from Coleraine, you can get them all over Facebook and at their website. But it's the Zachary Geddes Brick, the Silent Trust. It has a men's support hub that is run by men, for men, uh, to support them through any of the hardships in life. It's every Monday at 7pm at Unit 10 Locken Hill Industrial Estate in Coleraine. You can find more information by contacting zgbtst.mensgroup at gmail.com or 0793418-87147. And together, we can help support each other through hard times, through the good times, and we can celebrate that as well. If you want to try and find them on social media, it's Zachary Geddes Brick, the Silent Trust, and you can get them at their website, www.zacharygeddesbrickthesilencetrust.org. And fascinatingly enough, I have Terry Geddes, who was Zachary's father, on an episode in a few weeks' time talking about his journey in karate and what it takes for me to be mindful and, and, and what that meditation and the art of karate is all about because he himself is a sixth dan black belt just as Zachary was a, a karate too and I think he was a, a second or a third dan so a really worthwhile cause I wanted to point that out before we jump in if you can, if after listening to the episode you can head over to their social medias that's the Zachary Geddes Break the Silent Trust and do your thing, help share, support, like, comment and raise awareness of such a great initiative. And I guess now all we have left to do is to introduce the episode itself, to welcome Colin on to the Think Curiously podcast and whatever it is you're up to when listening to this, I do hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Think Curiously podcast. Hello Colin, welcome to the Think Curiously podcast. Hi Gary, thanks for having me. So I know I reached out on LinkedIn, but there's a, a real interest of mine about how we take sort of an idea from conception to reality. And if anyone's listening who are from Northern Ireland, you really can't go anywhere without knowing what the Bob and Burt's brand is or seeing it on your high street. But that didn't start with that whole big grand uh, exposure. There was a release, a concept somewhere along the line that grew and your first store was in Port Stewart 2013. So I guess that's the conversation I want to have is around how that concept grew and any challenges that you overcame and how you've really then 
uh, expanded it to to where it's at today. So if you wouldn't mind just starting us off by giving us a quick introduction to who you are and uh, and what you do. Yeah, well, I suppose uh, I, I started uh, Bob Birds in 2013, like you said there. Um, but previous to that, there, there was no real grand plan to open a brand as such. You know, I mean, if I look back in my life, Previous to Bombers, it's kind of like Bombers is now a collection of all the ideas and experiences I've had all brought into one, you know. So if I go back to when I was 18, leaving school, I mean, I, I left school with no idea what I was going to do. Um, I had the idea of going to join the army for some bizarre reason. Um, that never actually materialized, but I ended up becoming a teacher. Um, and I taught in England for five years in a, in a private school. Um, and I suppose I picked up bits and pieces there around teaching and how people react to being told things and how people learn. So that kind of gives me a little bit of, um, I suppose, uh, it allows me to train our staff in the, in the first instance in Bob and Birch, you know. So that's one part of suppose, the concept is a background is being a trained teacher. Mm-hmm. I can now explain things well. But then after that, um, I actually own my own business at the same time as teaching. Now, I know looking at me, you're probably thinking this guy's not very fashionable, but I owned a clothes store in Leeds City Centre for about three years. Um, it was kind of like, it sold the likes of like sort of Gant and Ralph Lauren mm-hmm. and Eden Park. That was the, the main brand we sold, but it was that kind of concept. And at one point it became, I decided, do I want to teach or run the business? Mm-hmm. So it's much easier to resign from teaching than it is out of a lease. So I was kind of forced down the road doing that. But suppose the question people ask me is, well, why did you open a your own business while you were teaching. Mm. And I always had this burning desire to do something myself. Um, so I suppose looking back on it now, part of that was I wanted to I wanted to own my own business. I wanted to do something. And I see the gap in the market for that in Leeds. But equally, I had the fallback of teaching. Mm. I was always kind of told my mum and dad, you know, always make sure that you have a plan B, you know? So that's really stuck with me. You know, what's the plan B? What's the exit? If this doesn't work, what are you going to do? So the teaching... And then the clothes shop was there and that was all good. In the end, I left teaching and ran the clothes shop for a year. Um, and then sold it and I had nothing to do because I had no job. Um, I came back to Port Stewart, um, around 2007 for a bit of a holiday from England. And I was just blown away by the scenery and how nice it was and all that kind of good stuff. So I said to my wife at the time, then, you know, do we want to move back to Northern Ireland? Cause she's from here originally as well or stay in England, and I wasn't that bothered, but mm. I did love the coastline and love the whole um, way of life in the North Coast because living in Leeds and doing all that commute just is time-consuming and boring yeah. and whatever. So we made the decision we'd come back to uh, to Northern Ireland, April 2008 it was, just after the crash, uh, the property crash, but there was a little um, bakery on the promenade that was up for sale. It was called uh, Good Food & Co., very mm. small. It's now called Jam Jar, if you're from Porsche, you know it. You'll know it. Um, so my dad and I, my dad had a bit of background in the industry as well. Him and I bought that together. And the idea was is that I would run that, you know, and that would be my business. And that's what we did. And uh, I saw how people like freshly baked stuff in the morning. I seen how people like coffee. I could see the growing trend. And then I had the opportunity to open a bigger place in a promenade. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy walked in and said, listen, I need to offload this. I have something else I need to do. Do you want it? So I opened then um, what was called Bentley's and it was further up the promenade. Um, and it sort of had a mixture of coffee, a bit of hot food, a bit of bakery. And I suppose over the next probably five or six years, I gradually built up, I think it was six stores in total I had, um, under the Bentley's brand, so to speak. And that was kind of like different operations. One was a bakery, 
One was a coffee shop only. One did coffee and hot food. One did coffee, hot food, and late nights. Mm -hmm. And for those of you people who work in industry, it's a very hard um, operation to know yeah. one operation, but to know five or six of them, very difficult. So in the end, I thought, I need to bring us all into one. So Bob and Birds came out of, I suppose, lots of um, trials, lots of errors, lots of failures. Mm -hmm. And then I sat down one day and said, if I can pull all the best bits of all these different businesses I've had and put it into one, that would be amazing. And essentially, that's what Bob and Birds is. So, I mean, in the mornings there, we bake off all our own scones, all our own pastries. Our coffee is freshly roasted in Northern Ireland. We have our own bakery in Belfast. She does all our own cakes and her um, tray bakes. And that's all baked and sent out. We have the coffee and we have the hot food and the late night operation. So it's a real mixture of all the different kind of experiences I've had previously mm. is brought into that one brand. I think there's, there's two things that jump out for me. One is like you had a, an incredible set level of awareness at the very start to pick up those trends. Cause you said when you were in Leeds originally, you were picking up trends and there's a gap in the market for that shop. When you came to across the NA, you were seeing how the coffee thing's starting to take off and it became a little bit niche there for a while, didn't it? A lot of people were sort of opening these coffee shops, but to get through that in a sustained period, you thought, well, actually the lessons I've learned from the other businesses and how I've diversified in Bentley's could be put into one and then you're able to go and expand it. And I think. I think for anyone who's listening, who has an idea of a business or who wants to try and uh, sort of jump over that next hurdle to actually get it on on, on paper as such, or from, from paper onto, onto uh, to concrete really, is the fact that, you know, if you have those experiences and you have those ideas, you're never not going to know if they're not going to work if you don't actually do it, right? No, no exactly. And, and and that's the key thing in business is to like, you got to try things. you got to mm -hmm. try and move it on. If you do the same thing day in, day out, month after month, year after year, it becomes very stale, you know? So it's really important that you try things. You accept failure because I've had loads of them, you know, which I'll touch on later on. Mm -hmm. um, but the big thing for me is when someone fails, you've got to ask the question, why? Yeah. Why did it fail? Was that concept wrong? Was it not delivered properly? Were people not trained? Was there no appetite from the public for it? What was it? You know, and you might find actually that it's a combination of a few things, but you can tweak that idea and take mm -hmm. it somewhere else. And I suppose that's what I've done with Bentley's. You know, I could see that the, the bakery and the coffee shop worked, but the average spend's really low. So you've got to spend a huge volume, mm -hmm. okay? But if you're in the middle of winter in Port Stewart, that volume doesn't exist. But if you can sort of increase the sale, you know, as in like put in, say, a burger and chips and get that sort of £10 sale, that increases the value of the money coming in and therefore makes it much more sustainable. So very quickly, I, I caught on that these businesses were great and they would probably be sustainable, but we need to add something else to them, you know, yeah. and that's where that whole mixture comes into the bottom birds. Where do you think that awareness came from then? Where do you think you're able, you got that idea or that ability to pick up those trends and figure out what to do? Um, I suppose there's a little bit of, I've always taken a step back and looked at things mm. and I always look at things and think, can I do that better? Or could that be done better? Or why is it done that way? So I always try and pick apart, you know, why do people do that? So for example, whenever I was looking at, at opening Bob and Birds, I looked at all the big guys on the high street selling coffee. and was like, why do they queue up? You know, why do you go into these places and queue up for a coffee? Why are you not met at the door and sat down and order your coffee, you know? So again, it became very clear to me, that's about volume. That's about trying to get people through, you know? So I acknowledged that and thought, well, those guys have to have the volume to pay the bills. You know, that's why they afford to pay the big rents. If this is to be sustainable, we've got to change our mindset and how we run our current business to make sure that we can make it sustainable for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And I think just it's worth touching on for anybody who's listening and isn't 
aware how quickly that was built or or the process by which that was built. Your first Bob and Burt's was in 2013, is that right, in Port yeah, Stewart? That's right. And I think what we're sitting at, 21, 22 stores now? Yeah, so we're at 22 stores and we've got um, 15 in Northern Ireland, five in Scotland and two in England. And the process of opening more stores is ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose to go back and sort of tell you about opening Bob and Burt's, the concept, I mean, yeah. people say to me, like, where's the name come from? Or why is it blue? Or... Why is the interior the way the interior is, you know? And sometimes I thought to myself, oh, well, that's just what it did. But in actual fact, when I sat down and gone through it, there's reasons for every single thing that we did, you know? Mm-hmm. So, for example, outside of every single Bomber store, there's outside seating. For me, that just shouts to the public, we're open, mm-hmm. you know? So the first and foremost is the shop front tells people we're open because outside seating. Then we have the blue that's around it. You know, and people say, well, why, why is it blue? Why is it not green or red or whatever? Well, it started in Port Stewart, and as I go back to my 2007 trip, it was warm, it was sunny, the sky was blue, I was in a good mood, everyone was in a good mood. So I kind of took two colours, the blue and the yellow, and said, let's put that as our main colours. It stands out really well. It represents the sky and the sea. It represents the sun. Everyone's in a good mood when the sun's out. So therefore, let's try and capture that and bring that into one of our stores. I know we had a, a quick chat before we jumped on about the colour blue, and it's yeah. fascinating because I looked at some of the research and I was telling you there was a, a research paper by the University of Maryland who looked at colour color psychology and blue was one of the colours that um, screamed, I suppose, at the research. When they looked at it, the research suggested that people who um, are drawn to the, the colour blue are drawn because they feel safe, they feel serenity, they feel as if it's calming, uh, they feel welcoming. Um, and it's as you said, it's drawn from nature. So... And from a psychological standpoint, it actually is something that a lot of companies would use. And there's companies out there like, look at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Ford, PayPal, American Express. There's so many companies out there that use the color blue. There has to be a reason behind it. And I think what's quite nice is you found your own reason without going to the research. Yeah. That The reason that you're blue is because of, of the experiences that you've had and the story you've just told. Um, and I find that fascinating. I find that the whole sort of social psychology part of it fascinating. And what I love, um, if you go to any of your stores, is the interior. Mm. Because you could spend all day literally looking at the walls. I remember there was one, is it, was it your main one on Port Stewart that you have like, um, was it a map on the wall at yeah. some stage? Yeah. I remember just sitting that thing for, for ages, just having a coffee looking at it. Yeah. Know? No, and... We spent a lot of time designing our stores and uh, up until probably store 17 or 18, I, I designed all the stores myself, you know, as in the layout and mm-hmm. where things went, things on the wall. And whenever I was asked to put that on paper, they were like, well, wh- why do you do that? You know, why do you have a big table? I mean, I think we're one of the first brands to put in big tables into the stores. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, there's big families out there. There's c- people who meet in sort of groups of five or six or 10, you know, there's mm-hmm. communities who want to come in and, and use our stores and that facilitates that, you know, but I suppose what I should say is the layout of our stores and the design of them, everything is thought about. So like queuing up, for example, whenever I said there previously, I looked at the big brands, they queue up for volume and absolutely that makes sense. But also if you're queuing up and you're looking at the, uh, looking to order, you're looking at a member of staff, therefore that's engagement. That's the first time that our staff can engage somebody and say, welcome to Bob and Birds, what can I get you? Mm-hmm. You know, they can then talk them through the menu or help them out or have a quick chat at the till. And then if you look at our stores, the coffee machines are always facing the customer. Mm-hmm. And people said to me, well, wh- why do you do that? Like one of the, the big guys, Cafe Nero, it's always in the back wall. Why is yours facing? Well, ours is facing is because I want our staff and making coffee to engage with customers. 
you know, have a chat with them. So while you're waiting there, waiting for your coffee, you can have a quick chat. Mm -hmm. It does two things. One, it sometimes distracts the customer how long the coffee's taken, which is one thing. But also it means that we can have a quick chat with somebody while we're working, you know. So that's one thing. And then people say as well about we we'll always have these um, the water taps on the sinks in the stores. Like, what's that for? I says, well, people always come in and want water. You know, mm -hmm. they always want drinks. So again, we want our place to be really fun, really, really relaxed, you know, um, unpretentious. So if you want a glass of water, it's a bit like being in your house. Go and get a glass, sit down, you know. Don't need to come and ask member staff. It's all there. There's actually big signs and all sorts saying water here. You know, we encourage people to go and do that. Yeah. And they'll say, but when people are walking around, they're queuing up and they're going to get water and get their condiments. Is that not quite confusing for customers and staff? And I'm like... I don't think it is, but one thing it does do is it creates a really good atmosphere, mm -hmm. you know, and it creates that mixture of customers and staff. And when you're walking around to get your knife and fork or your glass of water or your coffee, you'll bump into a friend, you'll bump into somebody you know, you'll say hi. Mm -hmm. So that whole ambience and atmosphere kind of builds up there and it makes, I think, in a way, Bob and Bert's a real center of the community. Our mm -hmm. stores are quite noisy naturally because there's so much going on. There's machinery, there's people talking, people walking around. And then we always have like, really on-trend music on as well. And people said, well, most coffee shops play like classical music. It's quite relaxing. You go into the shop, you want to relax. And I'm like, majority of people in this world don't listen to classical music. There are, there's certainly a percentage do. But I think our main customer want to listen to, I don't know, whoever we have on the moment, but, you know, it's like popular music. It's pop music. It's what's mm -hmm. played in the radio. So they come in and it just makes them feel really relaxed, really homely, unpretentious. They can get on, walk around. Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that creates that. I think it's quite unique atmosphere in Bob and Birds compared to our competitors. I think. I think the other thing about what you've just said is, without even asking you a question about describing your culture, yeah, you've just described it. Yeah, you've just described your atmosphere. You've described what I love about that the whole concept of the free water is this idea of uh, water cooler conversations that come out of psychological research. So a lot of big businesses in America will promote what they call water cooler conversations, where they'll put the water cooler in the middle of the meeting room, or they'll put the water cooler uh, in the middle of the offices. So it's an area for people to congregate and chat, then it mixes people. It physically gets people up out of their chair to go and get it rather than it being served to them. So the research would suggest that that's better for cognitive function in their in their employees. It's better for the social um, connection as well. But in your store, you are essentially doing that as well. Yeah. Because like you said, you might have to go for a cup of water, a glass of water, and a friend is there. You see somebody you didn't see when you came in or somebody's walking past, you'd have a chat with them. And, it gives, and I also think it gives that relaxed atmosphere. Yeah. And I guess that is, is a good way to move the conversation towards is that engagement piece with the customer you just talked about the coffee machines that, uh, facing the opposite direction and, and towards the line so they can have a chat. Is that something that's promoted at all times? Is it that, you know, let's engage with our customers, let's make them feel homely, let's make them feel free and relaxed? Yeah, no, it totally is. And we've spent a lot of time uh, looking at our culture in Bombers, particularly during lockdown. We had loads of time to sit down and actually put it on paper what we want, you know. And people always say that we have a very, very unique culture in Bombers, both in terms of staffing, but also in terms of how the business is run. And it is run like quite relaxed. But what I would say is like when people join Bob and Birds, we sit down with them and we have a welcome booklet, you know, and it's, it's almost like a formal kind of booklet of welcome to Bob and Birds. And what I'm telling you today is actually outlined in that. It tells them, you know, the reason why we do things. So I'm of the opinion, you know, we can always say to somebody, I want you to increase your sales. And the manager will say, all right, no problem at all. But they don't want, no one says, but the reason I want you to do it is this. 
mm-hmm. you know, or tell them how to do it. So I'm very much of, you know, we need to tell people what our culture is, our expectations, and listen to their expectations too. So it's really cool in Bombers. When you start there, we'll sit down and go through the expectations of Bombers, the Bombers culture, and how we want people to perform. And at week two, people get feedback. Everyone the staff sits down and says, you know what? I'm not happy with this. I'm not happy with this part of the job. I was told I'd be doing this by this stage. It hasn't happened. Why? And so really open on this conversation. And I found previously to doing that, people would never have that outlet to speak to the manager and say, you know, you did tell me that I'd be training the coffee machine. I'm now six weeks in. I haven't been. Why? Now, there's a legitimate reason why. Maybe we didn't have the staff in to do that. Maybe the people were on holidays and couldn't train them, you know. But honestly, down explain to somebody, you know what? I couldn't do that for the six weeks because of mm-hmm. this reason. But next week, you're definitely going to get trained in the coffee machine. So we've got a really open and honest culture in Bomb Birds, which for me works really well. Um, we've got 630 staff, I think it is at the moment, across all our sites, which is a lot of staff. Um, and I would like to think that I'm in contact with them on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. I'm in every store at least one, once a week, in, including England and Scotland. And they have my number. And quite a few of them would text me offline and say, Colin, I've got a problem with this. Can you help me out? So we've got a really good culture of people raising things before it becomes an issue. What is the crack, people? I apologize for interrupting the podcast, but I wanted to let you know about Patreon and what Patreon is. Patreon is a way that I can keep this podcast fully independent. And what independence means for a podcast is that I can talk essentially about what I want with who I want and I can produce it in whatever style that I want to because I'm not succumbing to the pressures of any outside influence or any sponsors who may be sponsoring the podcast and telling me that I've got to speak about specific topics. So it gives us full diversity and creativity and we can be as flowing and as free and as moving with it as we need to be. How you can do that is you can support the podcast. All I'm asking for is just a little bit each month. It's a cost of a coffee or a cost of a, a pint, really. It's £3.50 per month. And I know not a lot of people agree with it because they've seen me out and had a pint before and I'm sure they don't want to buy me any pints. But if I was in the bar and you were listening to my podcast beforehand, would you go into the bar? Would you then see me? Would you then buy me a pint? If the answer is yes, surely head over to patreon.com forward slash thinkcuriouslypodcast and send us just the price of a pint because there's a lot of effort goes into the production of these podcasts and I truly hope that you do enjoy listening to them as much as I enjoy making them and that whole process does have a little bit of a cost to it so all I'm trying to do is just get paid for the work that I do really and that small amount each month will essentially help but the great thing about Patreon is it's a community we can all help each other out because I do understand that not everybody will be able to afford it and if you can afford it that's great and your help will be appreciated and and I really do mean that but if you can't, it's okay because those who can afford and those who do then pay allows you then to still get it for free. Everyone is a winner. So head over to patreon.com forward slash thinkcuriouslypodcast. All of your support will be truly appreciated. You can get all the information over there as well as heading into any of our social media pages. You'll get the links across any of the posts that have been up recently. There'll be a video on there uh, telling you how to do it and a little bit more information about it. But I guess I wanted to jump on in the middle of this episode just to remind you about patreon.com forward slash thinkcuriouslypodcast. And with that, let's get back to the show. That I love that because it gives autonomy, doesn't it? It gives the employee autonomy and saying, like, you're not joining an institution that tells you X, Y, and Z and everything has to be done by it like this. You've actually got uh, an input into your development and you get 630 staff. So obviously there'll be opportunities for for pro- promotion at some point as well of staff are able to 
to keep to it, keep to the plan. But I think what I love about what you've just said is that rather than, it could be very easy for you to set a rule or your partners or whoever it is to set rules in each store and say, you can't do this, you can't do that. Whereas in fact, you know what, from an employee's perspective, if I feel like I am able to give my feedback and my feedback is being welcomed and it's part of the of the plan and the culture, then I'm more likely to give more honest feedback, which in turn will help the brands and will help the business survive. Yeah, totally. I mean, the culture in Bombers exists not because of me, okay? I facilitate that culture. That culture exists because our staff have a really good way of working and a really good relationship and it's open and honest. Mm-hmm. And that culture has kind of grown from the first door where, like I said to you, I took five or six different bits of different businesses and put them into one. And therefore, very quickly, I would have a chef saying, we simply can't cope with the volume. We need to get in more equipment or we need to do this, need to do that. And I was like, yeah, this guy's right. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's a way of on food, so we call you that. Same in the coffee machine, you had baristas telling me, we need a faster grinder. We need um, another coffee machine. So most bombers stores now have two coffee machines. Huge investment. But that's all come from customer staff saying to me, Colin, we're trying to do the volume here, but we can't do it with the equipment we have. Therefore, you've got to invest in it. Mm-hmm. You know, so... All the stuff that's happening in Bob and Birds has come about by really good feedback from our staff, you know, and suppose we give them targets as well. In fact, we don't. We sit down and we discuss targets and we say, how much do you think the store could lift? You know, and they'll say X and I'll say, okay, I think could maybe do a little less than that, a little bit more and we'll come to an agreement and I'll mm. give them a solution of how they might do that. And that will be maybe employing more staff, improving equipment, uh, bringing in um different types of operations just to help mm-hmm. you know say for example a better dishwashing area or whatever it is but that's all built by them so as i say that culture exists not because i've imposed it but yeah. because that's been built over a long period of time yeah and you facilitate it that's that's essentially yeah. it um and one of the questions that i just wanted to, to throw back actually to what we talked about at the start of the conversation was uh how we how you took that leap then from your first ever store in 2013 um, what was, cause you, what was the next sort of process? I think you were, you went to Coleraine and Port Stewart or Port Rush shortly after that, but there had to be a certain number of stores where you got to and you thought, right, we have to now start looking at taking a bigger leap and going elsewhere. So was there a point you got to at that and you thought, well, these are four stores in, we've got to now go for the next three or four in a row or what way was it? Yeah. Again, it's a strange one. So we opened uh, the first one in June and with a really, really busy summer, Port Stewart, as you know, was pretty mad in the summer. And then come September, it's like a light switch. It goes pretty dead. I thought to myself, again, I was aware of if this is to succeed, we're going to need something over the winter to help pay the bills in Port Stewart. So the natural choice is Korean, kind of an all-round, all-year-round um, business. So we very quickly opened in Korean, very successful, a very small store member on Kingsgate Street. Yeah. I think it only held about 30 or 40. Um, very, very small. And then it worked really well as well. And people were saying to me, oh, this is amazing. Is this an American brand? Is this a franchise? And all that kind of good stuff. And I was blown away by it because for me, it was, I was in it. So therefore it was no big deal, but people saying this was fantastic. Can you bring one to Balamina or Balamoney or whatever it was? And in the end, we got the opportunity to open in Port Rush. And I thought, well, it's coming in the summer season. Again, it'll be really good there for a few months. But if we open that one, we'll need to counteract the, the quiet, um, winter in Port Rush. So the natural choice was Balamina, you know, <laughs> so it kind of went, like that, that's how the business grew. Um, so it wasn't more of, I want to open loads of stores. It was almost like a necessity. Right. We can have this beautiful store in Port Shirt and Port Rush with sea views and everything else, but 
the, the we need something else to help pay for that in the winter. So that's why the drive recording in Balmina. And then that's a very different operation, actually, because if you think about Port Stewart, everyone's on holidays. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the sun's out. Well, sometimes, you know, people are in a good mood. You come with your family. You're happy to wait 15, 20 minutes for your food. Everyone's having a good time. They're having their coffees, milkshakes, whatever. You go to Korean or Balmina. That's people on lunch breaks. That's people who are in the office needing to get out. And it's got to be fast. And that's where, again, the feedback from staff was, you cannot have the same operation in Port Stewart in Korean. We need to bring in more equipment. We need more seats. You've got to turn more faster. So, as you know, in Korean, we moved from quite a small site into a huge site down in the Diamond. And that was really driven by staff saying, this is great, but we're at capacity all the time. We could be victims of real success here. People have stopped coming to Bombers in Korean because it's always busy. You can't get a table. So, therefore, people are choosing to go elsewhere. So again, the culture in, in that store was, can we extend the back? Can we not get into what was the sports house, which is now DV8? Um, which of course we couldn't, but the challenge then to me is, how can I meet the expectations of my staff? These guys, great culture, want to grow this business, are really excited about it. How can I harness that and push it on? So in the end, we moved down to the Diamond. It's a much, much bigger store, which has now been extended three times since. Um, I think we're up to about 115 um, covers there. So, and the staff who were in that Korean store still exist. Mm-hmm. They've came within that journey, you know, and I think they've seen that everything we've done, we've tried to make things easier for them. We've tried to make kitchens bigger. We've tried to make the customer experience better. And ultimately, we've tried to do, we're trying to make the staff experience better because that's a really key aspect of mm-hmm. our business. I'm fascinated by that idea, that ladder, not process really, where you've looked at one area and thought, right, that's really successful in the summer, but there's going to be a lull in the winter. So we need to counteract that. And then you need to counteract the Port Rush one again. Yeah. It's kind of like your business really does drive the development of your own business. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And you've got to look at it, the, the bigger picture, you know, and I'm very guilty of every summer ending up in Port Rush and Port Stewart helping out. <laughs> and I get asked questions from people in Belfast, why not come and help us, you know, and suppose what I say is like, it's a very busy store and, and the culture there is they will ring me and say, Colin, can you please come and help here? Mm-hmm. You know, so again, people find that quite strange. And whenever we opened in England and Scotland, they, they that staff found it really strange that me as an owner, I'm doing dishes, I'm on the pass, I'm cooking the food, I'm doing coffee. Mm-hmm. When I go to visit, it isn't laptop out. It's not, you know, let's have a meeting about this, that and the other. I basically get in the operation with them. And out of that, working alongside somebody, I'll pick up, Loads of little things that need fixed. Loads of little comments people make. They're not quite happy with something. Mm-hmm. They're not quite happy with the hours are being given. All those kind of things. And then the day, I say to the manager, that was great today. Great service. Just a few things I picked up on. You know, what, why are we doing that? Why has that been changed? And so-and-so mentioned they're not getting the hours. Why is that? You know, and that irons out a lot of problems rather than this formality of going through like checklists and suppose doing like compliance audits and all that kind of stuff. So I've found that... <laughs> There really is a necessity to get in the detail and really look at the bigger picture. And I suppose that's one thing that that poor rush, poor shirt did teach me is the bigger picture is they're amazing in the summer, but in the winter, you've got to have something else to help pay the bills. And I've noticed that in the stores as well. They're busy, but they've got to have something else to help build on that and help them, you know, ensure that going forward, they're not going to have the same experience or the same negativity or whatever. So it's never that in the bud. I, I remember reading a quote once by uh, Richard Branson in his early years building Virgin. And uh, he said something along the line, I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, if you can't work your business, you don't understand your business. Yeah. So if you can't go into the front line of your business and work it, 
then you're never going to get a chance to, to develop it and scale it up because you don't know what's going on. That's absolutely right. So anything we do in Bomb Birds, I am fully trained in it before it goes live. So people see me wearing Bomb Birds all the time. I'm in there, you know, checking out equipment. Is it fast enough? You know, is it good enough? Um, and I, I want to learn it. So for example, one big thing in Bomb Birds are milkshakes. We had this thick shake we're doing. We actually use like a blender for it. And uh, the blenders kept burning out because we sell that many of them, you know. So we brought in this new machine called the Melder machine, um, which is a bit of a Northern Ireland phrase, but <laughs> we describe people as melters, but that's now what we call our milkshake. So again, we're trying to like, you know, even the name of that speaks to our customer and speaks to our audience, you know, um, and people quite like it. But the machine came in, it's like kind of like a milkshake machine, but it's quite complex. And before I went live in the store, I made sure that I worked it, um, cleaned it, broke it down, put it back together. So staff say to me, it's really complex. I'll say, yeah, I agree with you, it is. However, this is how we clean it. This is how we do it. So every aspect of the business has come through, I suppose, myself and I have a partner like David who's in the business as well, but both of us are very much on top of ensuring that we know exactly how things work and give advice. You know, So if someone rings up and says, this machine's not working, I can probably give them five or six things to check quickly yeah. that may help out. You know? But that, that goes back into the culture because it increases the confidence in the employees that the owners actually are invested in it and they care about it because essentially the people in the shop are working for a living really it's to pay their mortgages and yeah. you've got a responsibility as a company to, to look after them and if they feel that connection with you and that confidence in you then they're going to increase their productivity which in turn is going to increase the productivity of the of the business but in that whole scaling up process i'm guessing that it probably wasn't a smooth sailing i'm sure, I'm sure there must have been one or two roadblocks in your way that you had to overcome totally and we were guilty of doing the same thing over again you know so as i said what worked in Portshire does not work in Corian and Balmain. It's a different, it's a different customer, it's a different clientele. And as we've got bigger, gone into like Belfast City Centre or cities in Scotland and England, like we've had to change and adapt the operation as well, you know. So it is always about recognizing that's worked in one place, but it doesn't necessarily work here. And therefore, you've got to always be on your game to make sure that A, you react fast enough, because that's the big thing about whenever you say what's gone wrong, what it's basically what's failed, you know. So we feel all the time in Baltimore certain things, you know, and I said to the staff, don't get down about it. All we need to do is talk about what the failure was, why it happened, and what can we do to make it better or change it or fix it. And that's what I'm all about. So in our business, that's essentially my job now. So my job is now to help our staff solve problems, move on, and make things better. I find it interesting that you spoke earlier on about sort of you getting into the granular detail. You knew the detail of your business, you know, inside out, and then the acceptance that things are going to go wrong and how we approach that and how we think about that. It aligns, there's a book written by a guy called Matthew Syed called Black Box Thinking. It's a fascinating book. And the book is all about our understanding and our attitude and our relationship with failure. Because for so long as a culture and a society, we've always looked at it and thought, well, if someone's failed, they've done something wrong and they should really be embarrassed about that. They should have done better. But nobody really explores why it went wrong. And if there's processes put in place to find out why it went wrong, <clears throat> why it went wrong, eventually it can get better because you can, you know, you can look back and reflect. But also on top of that, knowing it in a detailed form and knowing, as you said, someone rings you and there's something wrong with this coffee machine, right? Try X, Y, and Z. Knowing that to that level allows you then to recognize, well, if that doesn't work, then there's something I've got to now understand more of because I've given the information that failed or it doesn't work. And so that all buys into that whole thing. So I guess what I'm saying is the the attitude to cult or the attitude to failure and the attitude to knowing what went wrong is only going to be beneficial 
if the staff can buy in to admitting to when things go wrong, right? Yeah. And and I publicly as well in, in our stores with our staff, I'll point at our failures. You know, so I, I will tell people, you know, in our stores, there's no way we can achieve those sales because the equipment that I've bought for the store cannot sustain that level of sales. Or the uh, the amount of hours you've been given for your staff this week simply does not add up mm-hmm. to the sales you want to achieve. So the recognition of me saying to our staff, yeah, no, I feel that, like, uh, that's my problem, I'll sort that for you. I always make sure that it's sorted and I always go back to them, explain how I've sorted, why I've sorted it, or sometimes go back and say, I can't fix this yet. The bigger picture is you've got to live with that for the next five, six, seven months, but I can tell you that will fix. So I go back to the Korean story about the small store. Before we moved, staff were asking me, when are we moving? When are we going to develop or when are we going to knock down or knock in the next door? I told them, like, I will get a bigger store. It might take me a month, a year, or a couple of years, but believe me, I'm trying my hardest, you know. And when that store did finally arrive, they were like, gosh, this guy actually was doing it in the background, you know. So right. I do always go back and tell them, this is what I'm doing because communication in any field is the is the most important factor. If you communicate to somebody and say, I can't do it for this reason, they'll accept it. If you just don't do it and don't communicate, they're like, oh, he doesn't care. He's not interested. And that's one thing that uh, I suppose I've noticed as well is people look to me when I'm in stores, what I do, how I act, what I say, you know, um, the little snippets of information I give out as well. That sometimes then used against me to say, but you said this. And I said, yeah, no, I did, but in the context of that. But it really is important when we communicate to people that we are very clear, you know, and we, and we give feedback. I guess that's key, though, because, you, you know, I've, I've worked in businesses before um, from a financial standpoint that uh, would always preach about having products that are, you know, top-notch, market-leading products. But yet, whenever the email communications came through, or whenever the co- the, the group calls were were on to to, uh, to increase our knowledge of the product that we had to sell, mm-hmm. it was pretty much non-existent, right? Yeah. So the communication piece is huge, um, and I guess that's that's almost like a trickle-down effect, really, where you've got a if you, if you look at it in hierarchy, you're sitting above what's below you, and then that feeds down, that feeds down. But what you're actually doing is saying, you know what? Instead of me firing an email through to 630 people. I'm going to go to Port Stewart and find out what's going on. I'm going to go to Scotland and find out what's going on. I'm going to get my hands dirty. Yeah. And that communic- communication piece then increases again because you're present in the store. Totally. And I mean, anything like that is tested by myself or by somebody else and fed back to me, you know, this doesn't quite work. We've got to change this. So when it goes out, anything that goes out to our entire state now has been tested in the store. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when we test it in the store, we have this really open honest policy. I'll have feedback from chefs. I'll have feedback from people on the counter, how the till system works. Because changing a product and bomber is now quite complex. So if you go in, say, for example, and order a burger, there's different types of sides. There's different types of ingredients. If you don't want certain thing on your burger, how does that work? How does that print out? And that's before we made the product. So we test all that. So when we get those questions, hopefully we're able to answer them, you know. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, we still have caught out because people always ask the question they never thought of. But yeah. And that's great because we then go back and say, oh, by the way, um, Jack and Lancaster asked this question. Really good question. Never thought of it. This is the answer. You know. Um, talking about products, talk to me about the Spud Stack because it's one that you see all over Facebook. Any store you go into, there's three or four people you walk past you're eating it. I've had it myself. That seemed to be like a staple for you. That seemed to be like a product that really did take off and 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 you use quite a bit in your promotion. So, yeah. where did it come from and how did that whole marketing idea arise? So again, one thing we really focused on was. Whenever I was opening Bomb Birds, we wanted to have an amazing uh, coffee operation to rival all the big boys on the high street. 
which I think we've done, we've matched, if not better. But one thing I was really keen on was blowing out our competition with our food offering. And I wanted to make sure that we served breakfast and did a really good breakfast selection, but we served it all day because to me as well, it was coming quite clear that people weren't really having breakfast home anymore. They're having breakfast on the go, either a coffee and a croissant or they were having their coffee during their break, you know, and from work coming out for like a brunch. So I wanted to make sure that ours was quite unique. Um, so again, it was just playing around um, in the kitchen, came up with, I love potato bread, um, really too. And I like sausage, bacon and eggs. So I thought, let's just make a bit of a tar, see what it looks like. So that's how it came about and uh, put it on the name. I think was quite quirky. People were like, oh, Spotstack, that's pretty cool. And all of a sudden, that's one of what we call our hero products. So people mm. come to Bombers for that. Mm. Um, and it's great. And it's uh, it's now in all the stores. So in England, it's really weird. People come in with a Lancaster accent asking for a Spotstack. It's quite bizarre to hear. But uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those unique products that sets it apart from anyone else, you know? Um, yeah. And and how does, uh, just talk, talking about that marketing piece then, how does that work? Because your advertisements and your posts on Facebook I think are market leading the yeah. way the way they're arranged, the way that they they reach and like you put something up on Facebook and you're getting hundred comments in twenty minutes. Yeah. You're getting likes and shares, but more than just the interaction, more than just the comments and the shares, it's the visuals. It's how it's all constructed and how it's written and it's working in a, in a quirky sort of almost uh, I would say a Northern Ireland sense of humor too, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So up until probably well, actually our marketing team started in May this year. So we've gone seven years without a marketing team. Right. I did all the marketing previously, believe it or not. So I just took photographs that I quite liked, that I knew my family would like. So as you know, I've got a sister with kids, I have my own kids, you know, I've got a, a big family. And I'm like, what do people actually want, you know? And how do they want to be spoken to? Because you read some of these like advertisements and it's very corporate speak or it's it's not how we talk, you know? Mm. So I was very much like, I'm just going to say it the way we say it. And it kind of hits home. People buy into it. Mm -hmm. And even the comments down below, it's like local community people saying how they feel or what they want to say. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. So we've always been like really just trying to deliver what people want, you know? Mm -hmm. So they don't want anything pretentious or anything that's, I don't know, I don't know, I suppose like really high end or low end. They want something that's like right in the middle that everyone can sort of like, you know, touch and feel it's tangible to them. Yeah. And that's why our marketing's been. Um, and, and you really play off the whole Bob and Bert thing, don't you? You know, Bob says this, yeah, Bert says yeah. that. And I think it's fascinating. I really do. I think it's yeah. brilliant. And that was deliberate. So people say, you know, where's the name Bob and Bert's come from? You know, you're called Colin. Where did this name come from? Is it family? And it isn't. Uh, years ago, I sort of sat down and I, I liked the idea of having two words, the same letter. So like, like Coca-Cola. You know, so Bob and Bert, so I liked that. And I wanted two personalities. So suppose that's a bit like myself. You know, you've got to have multiple personalities in business. You've got to have the really serious side, you know, around the sales and making sure the rent's being paid and the VAT and all that. But you've got to have the fun side that relates to the public and, and your customers. So therefore, it was very, I was made sure that Bob's kind of conservative one. He's more like the the business-minded guy. You know, he kind of looks after the behind the scenes and then Bert's just a bit of a, a bit of a Hallion, you know, a bit of a balloon, and I suppose the Hallion burger is named after him in Bob and Bird. So he's kind of one of the quirky ideas, you know, like our specials are always a little bit different and a little bit out there. Um, and it's always called Bert's whatever, you know, so the Hallion burger is Bert's creation, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you look at our menu, anything that says Bob's on it is what I consider to be quite safe and almost quite boring, you know, whereas Bert's has got like loads of sauces and like pulled mm -hmm. pork and onion rings and all piled in. So that's really good to have those two personalities in a marketing sense that we can market that out. Any mistakes we make, so 
If you think back there over the summer in Bomb Birds, we had Christmas cups. Right. Bit of feedback, you know, like, well, why is Bomb Birds using Christmas cups? You know, when staff haven't built them. I was like, we have Christmas cups because I forgot to order them. So we're using up old stock. That's the simple reason, you know. So like, all right, what will we say to customers? And I'm like, we'll tell them that Bert forgot to order them. <laughs> Bob's annoyed, but sure, isn't it great to have Christmas in July? You know, and <laughs> there are loads of comments on it. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's just being really authentic and being really true and just telling the truth. That That's that's what happens. So lots of times, never there's a problem with Bob and Bert's, they say we've got to close early for something because some problem has happened. We're really honest, you know. Yeah. Bob's hit the fryer and spilled it all everywhere. We've got to close early. That's, you know, people are like, ha ha, very funny, you know, P45 for a bird, all that kind yeah. of stuff. And it's great to have those two personalities and people buy into it and really like it. But it's unique because, as you just said there, the people buy into it. I mean, I am i can't really think of any anywhere else that would have, they're almost caricatures, aren't they? That, yeah. that, that appeal to people and run your business and people can align themselves with each caricature. I'm a Bob, no, I'm a bird. Yeah, no, totally. I, you know, it's funny when people come in because when I'm at the till, people order certain things, you know, and I'm like, oh, that what they've ordered reflects their appearance and personality, you know. That's probably me being a wee bit <laughs> non-PC, but it does, you know. And then people who order like the more flamboyant stuff, birds are a bit out there, you know. Yeah. So it, it does definitely appeal to different people. And it is really nice and bombers to have that kind of safe option of the bob, but the really out there option of the bird as well. Right. So who then, is it bob or bird that's responsible for the cup designs on your takeaways because they're ever-changing and colourful as well? Yeah, yeah. So um, you can see that we're not very good at it because you can see the cup design doesn't actually meet. You know, <laughs> so there's a bit of science in getting things to meet. But again, people, you know, some designers have pointed out that our, our cups, people can't see this cup obviously, but the lines don't meet the side where, where, where the folds. Simple reason is I'm not a Santa, so therefore I didn't do it, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, um, the, the colors change all the time. The branding's really powerful. Like I said, that blue, white, and yellow. I mean, anywhere you go, you'll see a Bombers cup. It really stands out. And that's one thing that we want to make sure we did do. We want to make sure the storefront was blue and yellow and white. It really stood out in the high street. But equally, all our packaging's bright blue as well. Mm -hmm. And it does. If you see a Bombers packaging somewhere, it does really stand out compared to the rest. Uh, are we ever going to get Bob and Bert caricatures? Are they going to appear at any stage? Do you know what? I've been asked to write the story about how Bob Bird <laughs> met and the concept awesome. behind it. And uh, I always just tell people I don't know them well enough to tell them a story about it. But uh, yeah, I, th I think there's, there should be something in the background there that we'll, we'll do, yeah. No, it would be fun if you walked into a store and you just seen a cardboard cutout of Bob or one of Bert, you know, that would be... And I think kids would, would buy into it as well. It would be it would be awesome. But um, just on that, on that whole sort of story and, and that whole conversation around marketing, and, and the Bob and Bert um, caricatures. I know I mentioned to you off air, but I came across an idea in a book by Simon Sinek called The Law of Diffusion of Innovation. So that's where someone puts a, a company puts a, mar a product to market and the, they can normally um, marginalize their, their customers into or categorize their customers into certain groups. So you've got at the very start, you've got the innovators. They're the people, the customers that know the product's coming out even before it comes out. You, you've got the early adopters. They're the people who line up at, midnight in front of uh, the iPhone store to get the latest iPhone. So there's like, and the laggards at the very end of that, they're the ones that catch on because everybody else is doing it and they've no choice. But with with what I with what I see myself being in in the stores and um, use them as a customer and, and what I see on Facebook and whatever, your milkshakes, for example, those came in, was it last year or the year before? Only as really a recent prod product, 
But every time you go in, there's always somebody with a milkshake or coming out with a milkshake. Or And that was a product that, a bit like a spot stack, I suppose, came probably from an idea and then into concept and into reality. But do you notice that yourself? Do you notice that there are certain products that sort of take off? The Rainbow Cake's another one. Yeah. That take off and others sort of take a little bit of time to, to, to match up. Yeah, absolutely. And part of that is about the um, the innovation of that product. So, for example, the milkshakes, you're quite right. That's quite a reason in the Bobbin Birds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really driven by our staff saying, you know, we want to improve our milkshake. We want to make sure it's like a really thick ice cream based milkshake. Um, and we've done that. We've brought the milk machine in. Um, but yeah, some products take a little bit longer to take off than others. And I think that's because there's certain products we bring out that really speak to the customer. You know, mm-hmm. so our rainbow cake is quite famous now. Um, it was brought in really for kids. Um, and that's our, that's our primary target market with, with the uh, rainbow cake. But I think we now sell about 50 rainbow cakes a week um, for birthdays alone. Yeah. I think we sell across our stores, I think it's about 100 and something. So about 150 cakes a week just in rainbow alone. Um, and it's just iconic. It's a bit like the spot stack, you know. Mm-hmm. So it is. And what's really, what's the driver behind that? That's mm-hmm. why I always ask too, you know, whenever we bring in, say, certain burgers, like the Hallion Burger, what's the real driver behind that? Mm-hmm. And I think if you break it down, there's a few reasons for it. One, the name. People are inquisitive. Yeah. Hallion, what's that? You know, people in England, Scotland, have no clue what we're talking about. They're like, well, what is this? But over here, like, oh, Hallion Burger, I know Hallion, yeah. And then they get it, and it's like, it's quite a, it's a very different taste, because obviously it's a burger with pulled pork and mustard and ketchup and onion rings. So it's a bit of a mixture of taste, you know, and it just really works. So, yeah, it's hard to really say why it takes off, but there certainly is, like, inquisitive people who want to know what it is and they want to try it you know and i think that's where our products really work you know if we can get people sort of behind it asking you know what is it and why is it so great that really does drive the sales on it one of the things that i like to ask and guests because i get guests from many different backgrounds i've had football i've had snc obviously yourself from business um is what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given if you can recall that and uh, and why um, yeah, people give advice all the time. And I think, I think my dad gave me a bit of advice is like, just go and try it. It's always been his mantra, you know, even growing up, you know, I played football until I was 11, then I went to Cornell's with rugby and I was like, oh, I'm not too sure about that. And he's like, go and try it. You might love it. Ended up stopping playing football and playing rugby. So you just got to try things. You know mm-hmm. what he said? Like, what's going to be lost if you don't like it? You know, so you go back to football. That's true. So just always try things. Um, don't be scared of failure. We fail every day in certain aspects. You know, if I'm home late from work, I fail to meet the expectations of my wife and kids. Um, if I bring out a new product doesn't quite sell, I fail to meet the expectation of people in the stores and our, um, I suppose, the business. You know, so I think it's got to recognize that failure is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that really drives me is that it's not the fear of failure, it's the learning of failure. And that's one, one thing I've always kind of done is like if something doesn't quite work, Let's change it and let's try the game. Yeah. And on the back of that then, is there anything that we can be expecting from Bob and Birch in recent two, three months down the line or in a year? What's the kind of trajectory now or trajectory now for you? Yeah, so we're opening, we opened in uh, Candle in the Lake District a few weeks ago. That's a bit of a tourist hotspot. That's doing really well. We opened in Preston um, in about six weeks' time. And then we've got a real sort of strong rollout in England. And we see that as being sort of, Fertile ground, so to speak. Um, quite a similar thing to what we've done here. I mean, we really, when we're going to a town, we really shake up the sort of the, the, the town centre. We take big stores, 
it's bright, it's blue, the operation's quite noisy, it's good. So we see over there that there's loads of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're opening probably, I think it's 12 stores the next 18 months in England. And we've got three more stores in Scotland to open. And I suppose in Northern Ireland, we've got Belfast City Centre and Esquilin and Derry. That's the place we're looking at. Mm-hmm. After that, um, there's a few other concepts looking at too. So with we'll with drive-throughs, could we actually deliver that? Mm. You know, so part of my job is now I'm looking at equipment, what we would require to deliver that. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll look at the little pods, we'll look at stripping back menus so we can go into smaller sites. So loads of stuff happened in the background, um, which is great. And yeah, uh, loads of opportunities. So yeah. I love how even after eight years of building the brand, that the brand is still evolving because let's be honest, it could be very, very easy to go to Port Stewart and retire, put your feet up. You've got 21 stores. Let's just let them take over and do what yeah. they do. But no, there's a drive there to keep going, to keep getting better, to keep testing the water. What can we do next? And I think that can only really inspire the staff as well to see that you are continually trying to improve. Well, do you know what, Gary? Like there is, you're quite right. There is that kind of drive for me to go to more stores. And that drive has come from our staff. Our staff are really, really driven. You know, they, they want they want another site in Belfast. You know, they want to try a drive through. They want us to open in Lancaster. I mean, when we open sites, all I think there's about twelve of us from Northern Ireland going to open new sites. So it's really exciting for them. They're really bought in and they're always asking, you know, every story I go to is, you know, where's next and can I go and help in this one? So there's this real enthusiasm within our brand, within our business to like really drive it on and that drives infectious and therefore you're being asked those questions. I love being able to tell them this is what we're doing, this is what's happening. You know, in a few months' time, I'm looking for 15 people to go to pressing for a month, you know, and they're like, oh, this is great, you know, and they can move on within their career as well. Yeah, I love that because if we just take the conversation back to what we did at the very, very start when you talked about scaling up um, Port Stewart, Port Rush, and then using Coleraine and Balamina as almost fillers for the winter season, but it, yeah, it scaled the business up at the same time. That was your business looking after your business. Yeah. You're still doing exactly the same thing when you're opening stores in England and Scotland, when you're bringing staff from here over, because you're using your staff from here yeah. to build a business over there. So the, the development of the business is still yet again kept in-house and it's the business developing the business. Yeah, And you know what? We, we use people from Northern Ireland for a reason, is that our culture in Northern Ireland is really bought into Bob and Birch, and that's infectious. So therefore, now they go to Lancaster, now they go to these different places in England, that really, really good culture of being bought in and committed to Bob and Birch, it infects the, the staff over there and they're like, gosh, this is an amazing place to work, you know, and mm-hmm. they'd be like, oh, that's Colin over there. He's doing dishes. And they're like, all right, who's he? Because I don't know who I am. <laughs> they're like, that's the owner. He's doing dishes, you know, and they're, they're, the staff are there blown away by it. And same with oh, other yeah. staff, like, so what's your title? And they're like, well, I'm head of kitchen operations. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds very fancy, but yeah. that guy will be helping me clean the floor in the night. And they're like, well, this is just an amazing place to work. Really good teamwork. So we're really focused on ensuring that culture comes from within our stores in Northern Ireland and goes to England and goes to Scotland. And we're now using Scotland staff to come to England as well. So it's a real mixture of Northern Irish and Scottish staff. So the English have no idea what's going on. <laughs> they don't understand a word being said, but uh, they love the concept of all these people who have come to help them open their store. And we only opened Kendall a few weeks ago. The staff there already offered to go to Preston. Can I open that? That's, this is amazing coming yeah. up for. I think just go back. It's like, you know, we've always had this mentality in, in Northern Ireland that we're not quite as good as elsewhere, you know, and I remember being at school, I remember playing for rugby for Cornyns at the time, and if we're playing teams in Belfast, we're like, oh, we're playing these big schools in Belfast, and my kids play football now, they're told, we're playing these big clubs in Belfast, you know, and 
right away you're almost made to feel inferior you mm -hmm. know and our staff originally had that about the big brands you know that their their flavored coffees are much better than ours their iced coffees their seasonal drinks are much better the food is better and i was always like i don't think that's right you know i don't i don't think these are big clubs these are big brands these are businesses in korean so we can compete with them and we'll compete with them and we can be better than them and with the most amazing culture i tell our staff where else would you get an atmosphere like this in a coffee shop where else would you get all this noise where else would you get a display that breakfast served all day, these amazing coffees. It doesn't exist outside Bob and Birch. So therefore, be really proud. Don't ever feel that you're inferior to a big club or a, or a, a big brand because you're definitely not. You, know, you can compete with them. And being told that from an early stage, I always questioned it. You know, never, I probably shouldn't mention it, but I'll never forget being told we're playing a, a team from Belfast. Oh, they're, they're, that's, that's a big team. And I say, like, well, what's big about them? <laughs> the 15 players. I said, the only thing, the only difference is, is the coaching. Mm -hmm. It has to be, you know, the leader, you know, there's, there's a reason why certain teams, certain businesses can go on. They're being led. Liverpool was always not the best team in England. Some might dispute <laughs> that right now, but like they never were, you know what I mean? So why did they become that? Because they were led really well, you mm -hmm. know, they were told they're great. And that sort of culture of wanting to win was always put into um, that team, into that club. And therefore, of course, these big clubs perceive themselves as being better mm -hmm. but they're told that they're confident you know so one thing i always say is never let anything stand your way I never look and some of our staff have gone off from their own coffee shops and i've helped them people go like well, why are you helping them and i was like well it's their dream it might work out it might not but at the end of the day hopefully they'll say i work for bob and birch loads of stuff and i actually see when i left colin actually helped me out as well mm -hmm. you know so yeah, I suppose just don't be scared to try things and don't be scared of perceived big brands or big clubs or big teams. I love that because in a few weeks' time, it's a plug for the podcast, but in a few weeks' time, I'm exploring the uh, our use of the word we. And I'm exploring it in the context of us using the phrase our we country. And does that have negative connotations to our mindset? when we go into competition or when we look across the water at other people. So I'm really excited to get there. And it's a, it's a good interlude to what you just talked about. And I totally agree with it. Totally agree with this idea of why should we look down on ourselves whenever we've got so much to be proud of. We've got so much, we've got a work ethic. We're, I think we've got one of the best with Liverpool and with, with, with Scotland to an extent. We have one of the best self-deprecating pieces of humour uh, you can get because we just have a bit of fun, a bit of crack about it. And I love that. And it, that comes across in uh, your market we talked about earlier on. It comes across in terms of what you just talked about, uh, getting hands-on in the business and, and looking for that feedback. So I think all of that wrapped together is a really good uh, indication of where the business started, how it's grown and where it's going to go. Um, so I thank you for giving your time up. Um, I should say thank you because we're we're sitting in the players' lounge at Korean Football Club as well. So I say thank you to Stevie McCann and, and Korean Football Club for allowing us to use it today. And um, yeah, I hope that uh, we can connect again sometime in the future. And thanks so much for giving your time up. Yep, thank you.